Hello and welcome to episode number 123 of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tripodi, and I'm joined by Tony Pauline, as always. And with the NFL Combine all wrapped up and Pro Days already starting up, it's time to take a quick look back at what transpired in Indy. Now, Tony, obviously you were there on the ground floor. What was the big takeaway from the four days of workouts? I think the fact is this, and I've said this before, and I've complained about this before. You know, the combine has gone from a media event, which was locked, a lockdown KGB type of event for those people who know what the KGB are, to an event where they let you know media attend the event, and the workouts start started to slowly seep out. And then probably around 2013, it started to turn from a scouting event to a media event. And now it's just a media spectacle. Uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, and, and I don't think it's for the best. Obviously, they're the primetime workouts, which you and I will get into again. But the fact is this is, you know, if you listen to the podcast that I did when I was at the Combine, I was literally the only person there in the media section. I mean, it was sad. And Saturday and Sunday – uh, Indianapolis was dead. And, and I mean, the defenders had not even taken the field yet at, at Lucas Oil Stadium. And everybody, or if not everybody, I'd say 95% of everybody, as far as media is concerned, was gone. Um, so it's really a squished in media event. It's turning less and less into a scouting event, something else we'll probably get into. Um, and, and really, this is what the league wants, and this is what they're getting. And obviously, the move to prime time is a big part of that because it's best for the media, it's best for ratings, it's best for television, but it's not necessarily best for the players. Speaking of which, during our podcast from the Combine, you talked about how the vast majority of not only those players, but trainers, agents, and lots of team personnel, they really dislike that primetime format for so many reasons, including the fact that players are more susceptible to injury running so late compared to when they train. Obviously, just a couple hours after we recorded that podcast, Kenneth Murray and Patrick Queen had hamstring injuries pretty much within five, 10 minutes of each other during their workouts, never ended up participating in position drills, which is obviously a big part of the evaluation for scouts and teams who were there. Have you heard any updates on the situation with these linebackers and the injuries? And let's not forget, Kenneth Murray and Patrick Queen were in the last group of the day to work out. And those workouts, I think, didn't start till nine-ish or so, nine o'clock or so. I, I could be wrong on that. Somebody, you know, feel free to correct me. I, I mean, what do I hear? I hear there are a lot of agents that are very upset. And, you know, we said this a year ago when I mentioned a year ago how the uh, workouts were expected to go to prime time. Uh, agents are saying, listen, I, I'm not going to let my guys sit around all day and work out at night and then get hurt. That's exactly what they did this year. Now, with a year of experience under their belt, seeing what happened, you know, if major changes aren't made, uh, maybe the, the workouts moved up a couple of hours, situations where the players don't have to get to the workouts four to six hours before they take to the field, things like that. I heard, problem, I heard complaints about the food selection and nutrition that was given to the athletes. I, I think they're going to have to see some significant changes from the combine, and the combine is primarily run by National Football Scouting, although the league has taken, really taken things over and has done things that National Football Scouting doesn't want them to do or basically done things on their own despite the protests of National Football Scouting. You know, if you don't see some significant changes, I do believe that next year you will see fewer players, especially fewer highly rated players, work out. 
Yeah, I mean, the point of the combine is you want to get all these players on an even playing field doing tests that you can compare them in an apples to apples situation because some guys play in the SEC, some guys play in the Sun Belt. And there's lots of reasons that you want to see these players work out. That's the joy of the combine for viewers. That's the point of the combine for team personnel and scouts. Obviously, interviews and medicals are very important too, but if players are not going to work out, and we saw a lot of people, as we mentioned, that just decided not to do the agility drills at night. You see a lot more people running the 40 this year, and generally more players run the 40 than do the agility drills, but I think it was exacerbated a little bit extra this year. And the fact is that, as you said, it's turning from a scouting event where the focus used to be on the players and getting times for them and just getting workouts and being able to see what they can do all in one place to an event that's geared towards media, that's geared towards fans, that's geared towards people who get home from work and then want to watch it on TV, that soon there's going to be nothing to watch. If you go back and you look at the history of the Combine, and I'm talking about early to mid-1990s when it was at the RCA Dome, you will see that I I would say off the top of my head, you would get 50% of the players who would not run the 40 at the Combine. And the reason was the RCA Dome was known as a slow track, and they did not want to run on a slow track. And it was player after player after player uh, who declined to run the 40. I remember that was uh, one year Leland McElroy, if you remember that name, the running back from Texas A&M. His brother Reggie McElroy played offensive tackle for the Jets for all years. Leland McElroy, uh, after a dozen running backs said they were not going to run, uh, Leland McElroy took to the 40 uh, starting line and got a standing ovation because he decided to run. Uh, so why am I rambling on about this? Eventually what happened was the RCA Dome put in a strip of turf in that 40-yard area where they ran the uh, 40 during the combine that was a lot harder, that was a lot faster. And what happened was players decided to run because it was beneficial for them to run at the combine on the RCA Dome. You're going to have to see something like that, I believe, uh, because if it's a situation where uh, – Changes aren't, aren't made, and the first group will experience that. I mean, if they say the changes are made and the first group next year is the offensive line and they don't experience those changes, I think you're going to see a ton of players, especially highly rated players, uh, who, who decide to decline um, uh, to, to work out at, at the combine, to do the 40, to do the, uh, you know, the shuttles. They may just do position drills depending on the time of night. You know, if we're getting reports like I got, from having dinner with Ezra Cleveland about guys who were concerned because they were sitting around doing nothing and they were waiting around and hamstring pulls after that first group runs. I I think it's going to be dead the rest of the combine. And it's not going to be good for the combine. It's not going to be good for TV viewership. Definitely not. And I mean, we've been ahead of the curve on this podcast when it comes to the future of the combine. We talked about how workouts were likely to move to prime time for 2020 way back last year. Obviously that came to fruition and people were saying that the combine now is going to move to Los Angeles from Indianapolis. What are you hearing and what does your gut tell you about that? I think what's going to happen is they will keep a major piece of it in Indianapolis, whereas the media, the players, uh, the majority of the teams will gather in Indianapolis where they will do the medicals, where they will do the psychological testing, the Wonderlick tests, uh, the interviews, things like that. They'll have the podium interviews for the players like they do now. They'll have the media out there. They'll have all that kind of stuff going on. And then what will happen is they will move the workouts 
to different areas of the country, and they will stagger it where one weekend maybe the receivers and quarterbacks work out in Los Angeles, and then the defensive linemen work out in New York, and then another weekend the running backs and the tight ends work out in Miami, and the offensive linemen work out uh, you know, in Detroit, and somewhere sandwiched in there are the defensive backs and the linebackers. But I, I think the, the majority of it will stay in Indianapolis, but the actual physical tests and workouts – will be moved around the country. I think that serves a couple of different purposes because, you know, the, the testing portion and the position drills, you can get those results. You don't have to send the full complement of, uh, of medical staff out there and coaches out there. You can send some positions coaches out there. You can send some scouts out there. If a coordinator is really interested in a specific quarterback or receiver, they can go out and watch him. Same thing with the, if a defensive coordinator is very interested in a defensive line coach or cornerback, they can go out wherever they're working out and watch him. But, I mean, the testing and the position drills, you can get those results. And, and you know, as we saw with some teams – who did not send coaches out there, they'll just watch the position drills on game film because they are taped. But I, I think what will happen is, you know, to solve the issue where, where you don't want medical staffs traveling all around and you don't want, you know, you want to keep it a media event, what will happen is the main media event, the medical exams, the interviews, things like that, will be held at Indianapolis. Because Indianapolis, with the convention center, with the fact that everything is hooked up, with the fact that, you know, literally, you don't have to go outside if you don't want to because uh, all the hotels are connected by the overpasses, uh, which is a good thing. It, it, it's built for this sort of uh, event, if you will. Um, and I think that's what's going to happen probably two or three years down the road. All right. So everybody listen to this podcast in two or three years and you'll see that everything worked out just like it did for the primetime workouts. Let's hope so. <laughs> so now we'll move on to the actual tests and the actual workouts that the players did. And we'll go position by position here real quickly and just run everything down. Obviously on our last show, we discussed running backs and receivers, uh, but we didn't talk about the quarterbacks really. And a lot of that is because in reality, the testing for quarterbacks might matter the least out of all positions because it's not an athleticism-driven position. It's not a stopwatch position, if you want to call it that. But it's still good to see certain players stand out. Jalen Hurts, 4-5-9-40, really good jumps, better than expected. We knew he was athletic, but it's really nice to see that on the field and really have him exceed expectations. Justin Herbert checked a few boxes with a 4-6-8-40 and some elite jumps. He confirmed that he can be effective outside the pocket. He also had a great three-cone, which could correlate with some movement within the pocket. Obviously, it's not all physical in those situations, but he checked all those boxes there. He's only risen since the pre-draft process, including the senior bowl. Really, the same goes in terms of athleticism for Jordan Love and Kelly Bryant. They both had very good numbers in the 40 and the jumps. Steven Montez, though, a bit surprising to me. Ran a 4.6840, very good jumps at 6'4", 231 pounds. We've discussed him a lot here on the show. Consistency isn't really his friend, but he's got some tools to work with, Tony. Yeah, he absolutely does. It's just a matter of getting his, inside his head and, and getting him together mentally uh, to consistently play at a high level. You know, when I looked at the quarterbacks, I wasn't that much interested in the testing times as I was in the passing and the arm strength. And I really like James Morgan, a guy who, Chris, this, Chris, this is going to be a revelation to Chris, looks like we're going to have him on the show next week as a guest. But James Morgan of Florida International, who had a real strong week of practice at the Shrine game, didn't run anything great 
4.89 the 40, only had 29 uh, inch vertical jump, uh, you know, a quasi decent short shuttle at 4.64. But the way he threw the ball was very impressive, especially on the deep outs. The deep outs at the combine is the money pass for the quarterback. They put the cones 30 yards out to the left and to the right. They put them on the uh, on the sidelines, on the out-of-bounds marker, and the object is to hit the cone for the quarterback, and the receiver's got to run to the cone. When I watched James Morgan at the workup, I was very impressed with the speed and velocity as well as the accuracy he threw those deep outs with because the big thing about James Morgan, the big criticism is he doesn't have a big arm. I still don't think he has a big arm, but he showed enough arm strength, especially when he threw those uh, deep outs, which were dead on the money. Uh, showed enough arm strength and showed enough speed on throws that teams say, hey, you know what? This guy's uh, 6'4", he's 229 pounds, he's deadly accurate, he gets it between the ears, and maybe this guy's a little bit better than we thought. So it wouldn't surprise me, James Morgan, who I think entered the combine as a very late-round pick, seventh-round pick, now all of a sudden moves into the middle of day three based on his combine throwing workout. Yeah, I remember when we first started discussing Morgan on the show, you mentioned that arm strength was the biggest question with him. We watched him. We saw him play. It didn't really scream to us that anything had changed. But obviously seeing him in this setting, and you get to see him go up against all these other quarterbacks, not against them, but in turn with them. And you see the difference in an arm for him and maybe an arm for someone like Justin Herbert. And as you said, those deep outs, I mean, that's an NFL throw right there. That is the definition of an NFL throw and some players can make it. Some players can't. A lot of guys are much better between the hashes and you have a lot of very good quarterbacks in the league that are really best between the hashes. They don't throw to the sidelines very well. So if James Morgan can do that, as you said, he's really going to jump up boards. And and again, you know, when you watch it, the receivers weren't waiting for the pass to arrive. He was able to hit the receivers and Strider was able to put the ball out in front of receivers and let them run to the ball uh, with an accurate throw to the cone which is what you're looking for in that pass. Now we'll move on to the running backs here. The obvious winner and a guy we discussed on the last show, A.J. Dillon, really a Derrick Henry clone in terms of his combine testing. Did have a better vertical jump, though. Jonathan Taylor is a guy that we knew was fast, but a 4.3940 still beat expectations. Also had a solid three-cone time, 7.01 seconds, so he can compete laterally and not just downhill. And combining that with his improved pass catching this year really has his stock on the way up heading into the draft. Cam Akers is a guy that's kind of unrefined as a running back, former quarterback in high school, never really had a good offensive line to run behind. He had to prove that he was a good athlete, and he did that with a 4-4-7-40 and some good jumps at 217 pounds. Darrington Evans blazed a 4-4-1 with some explosive jumps. And my surprise was Rico Dowdle. A lot of other guys you kind of expected this level of athleticism, maybe not Dylan to the level that he put out there, but for Dowdle, he had a 38-inch vertical, a 10-foot, 7-inch broad jump, at 213 pounds, really great marks for the South Carolina runner. Yeah, I, I did like Darrington Evans. And when you look at his, you know, his entire workout, 5'10", 203 pounds, ran a 4-4-1, but he had a 1.50 10-yard split, which I believe was the second or third fastest to come from the running backs. And what that means is he immediately gets the top speed. So he gets through the hole with a great burst. He could basically, once there's open uh, space in front of him, he can take off 37 inch vertical jump, 10 feet, 10 foot, five inch broad jump did not do the shuttles or the three cones. So we'll see what he does then during pro day. 
But Evans, not only just his 40-time, but his 10-yard split. I think when I looked at this, Jonathan Taylor was one of the few guys who had a faster 10-yard split at 1.46. Everyone else was in the 1.53, 1.54 area. Uh, the Louisiana Lafayette kid, uh, Raymond Calais, who also ran a 4.42, he had a 1.50 uh, 10-yard split. Um, that's slightly smaller. But I, I was very impressed with Evans. I'm going to be interested to see what his three-cone time and his shuttles are at the uh, at Pro Day because he's not a great perimeter runner. And, and those three-cone times and the shuttle will kind of tell us if he's got the speed, at least, to turn the perimeter to the next level. Absolutely. And we'll move over to the wideouts here. And uh, one player who did prove that he had the speed – to play at the next level is Chase Claypool out of Notre Dame. Ran a 4-4-240 at 6'4", 238 pounds. Not only that, 40 and a half inches in the vertical, 10 feet, 6 inches on the broad jump. Just insane. Very comparable to Evan Ingram from a few years back. Obviously, Ingram's a tight end, but he's a guy that moves around, plays in the slot a lot. And Chase Claypool really matched what Ingram did on tape. And everyone lauded Ingram as a great athlete as well. Denzel Mims and Donovan Peoples-Jones, as well as Michael Pittman Jr., also excelled as bigger receivers who tested out well, really helped their stocks, solidified themselves. Justin Jefferson's 40 time at 4.43 was really huge for him at 6.1202. Same thing with Tyree Cleveland, who at 4.46 at 6.2209. A couple guys I want to quickly hit on here, Antonio Gibson and Joe Reed. Gibson ran 4.39 at 228 pounds. For him, just get the ball in his hands. Doesn't matter what position he is. He was a running back at the Senior Bowl. He ran with the receivers here. Who cares? Just get the ball in his hands. And the same thing can be said for Joe Reed out of Virginia. He's a guy we've talked about throughout the season. Six foot, 224 pounds. Ran a 4.47 with a 38-inch vertical and a 10-foot, 3-inch broad jump. Also dangerous with the ball in his hands, as I mentioned. A lot of great wide receiver workouts in Indy last weekend, Tony. What stood out to you? Yeah, I liked Isaiah Coulter, uh, Isaiah Coulter of Rhode Island, who outperformed his teammate head and shoulders. I mean, 4-4-5 in the 40 with a 1-5-1 split. That was one of the fastest from the receiver groups. And what that means is he's able to quickly get off the line of scrimmage. And if you can beat the defender in that first five yards, you know, you're going to come free. You're going to get separation. 36-inch vertical jump. His uh, short shuttle and, and his three-cone were nothing to write home about. Four six two in the short shuttle, seven two eight, 8 And the three-cone, that could be just training coming from Rhode Island. But still, four four five forty 40 with a 1-5-1 split. Uh, I thought that was really good. You know, C.D. Lamb ran a four five zero, which did not impress really too many people at all. But in that 4-5-0-40, he did have a 1-4-6-10 split. And again, that shows his ability to get off the line and immediately get to top speed. His jumps weren't that great, 34-and-a-half, 10-foot-4 broad. Uh, he didn't do the short shuttle or the three-cone, but he, that 1-4-6-10 split really stands out to me. Another guy who I think exceeded expectations was Kendrick Rogers. I mean, a lot of people thought Kendrick Rogers was a guy who was going to run in the mid four fives. He ran a four five one with a one four eight ten split. Uh, by comparison, Henry Ruggs uh, ran the four two seven. His ten split was one four three. Kendrick Rogers uh, runs a four five one. His ten split was one four eight. Thirty five and a half inch vertical jump. Ten foot four inch broad jump. And my final guy, who I, I kind of touched on uh, last week. Uh, from the combine, Juwan Johnson. I mean, one five eight. I'm sorry, four five eight in the forty, one five four ten split. Uh, short shuttle of four three seven, a three cone 
of six nine four. I mean, that is a that is a terrific three cone for a guy that's six foot four, two hundred thirty pounds. I still like him more as a move tight end, but I think somebody's going to look at these numbers and say, you know what, we're going to take a chance on him in the late rounds and use him as a possession receiver. Yeah, I mean, that agility is very impressive for Juwan Johnson, especially when you look on the flip side to someone like Isaiah Coulter, who, as you said, those times you said they're not the right home without. They're borderline terrible. I mean, historically, that 20-yard shuttle, that's one of the worst 20-yard shuttles in the history of the combine. It's literally the zero percentile. And his three-cone was in the eighth percentile. So that means 92% of receivers run the three-cone better. Almost 100% of receivers run the 20-yard shuttle better. And for a guy who comes in under 200 pounds, you do want to see more agility there. But as you said, the 10 split, he's going to get off the line quickly. He's going to have to because he's not going to go side to side and avoid defenders that way. So it'll be interesting to see how a lot of that translates. And also, as you said, it'll be interesting to see if he can improve on any of those numbers and if it just might be a training thing. And the fact is this, they're probably also going to use him as a punt returner. So if you are exceptionally quick in that first 10 yards returning punts, you know, guess what? That's going to lead to a lot of potentially large, uh, big punt returns because, you know, as you know, with the punt returns, it's getting by that first line, getting by the, those first couple of defenders. And, and if you've got that quick burst, that immediate burst to get by them, you know, you're going to have the potential there for a lot of punt returns that are 10, 15, 20 yards or longer. Absolutely. And we didn't discuss the tight ends last show, much like the quarterbacks. There really weren't a ton of standouts as far as the workouts went. Well, one guy I do want to highlight is Cole Komet from Notre Dame. Ran a 4.740, a vertical of 37 inches and 10 foot 3 inches in the broad at 6'6", 262 pounds. Really one of the more shocking results, probably overall in Indy. I don't think anybody expected him to test out like that a lot of people thought he was slow he was a plotter but I think he proved at the very least athletically he has the potential to be more Albert Oquabenom 4-4-9-40 at 6-5-2-0-8 an excellent time didn't do a lot of other workouts though would have been nice to see that Adam Troutman friend of the show ran really an insane 6-7-8 three cone I mean we're talking about Jawan Johnson at 230 pounds running a good three cone I mean Adam Troutman blew that out of the water with extra weight on him an unheralded Dalton Keene from Virginia Tech really had a great all-around workout. 6'4", 253 pounds. Might be more of an H-back type, a guy you're going to move around as a backup tight end. But still, that kind of athleticism is going to boost you if you were maybe a priority free agent. It could boost you into the late rounds. If you were just a regular level free agent, might boost you to a priority level. So he did nothing to hurt himself. What do you think of them and some of the other tight ends here, Tony? I would have never thought watching Dalton Keene on film that he was 253 pounds. I mean, he looks like he's a guy in the two high 220s, low 230s. So for him to come at 253 and run a 471 uh, w- was pretty terrific. And he also had a 707 uh, three, uh, three cone, which is, which is pretty good. You know, again, you mentioned expectations. And based on the expectations, I like what Josiah DeGura did. Again, this was someone who was graded as a street free agent coming into the season by scouts. I mentioned him over the summer. I thought he was a guy who could be a, a late round pick. 472 at 242 pounds, 35 and a half inch vertical jump, 156 10 yard split. Uh, a decent uh, three cone at 715. I, I think he's, he's someone who just continually exceeds expectations. Had a good week of practice at the Senior Bowl. And you know what? 
if you talked to NFL scouts back in August and you said that DeGura was going to be a senior bowl participant, was going to get a combine invite, they probably would have laughed at you. Uh, but here he is, and, and he just keeps raising the bar. And I think he's definitely cemented himself as a uh, late-round pick. You know, Charlie Temapoa of uh, Portland State, here's a guy that not too long ago was on the bubble uh, as far as getting a senior bowl invitation. Teams didn't know whether he was going to be a fullback, an H-back, or a tight end. The teams are talking to me about him. He's not going to break 4.8 seconds in the 40. Runs a 4.75, 40, has a 36-and-a-half-inch vertical jump. Runs seven flat in the three cone, which is a terrific time. So I think uh, Tomapo Tom really exceeded expectations for what scouts thought coming into the postseason, coming into January, and he's done a good job. You know, on the flip side of it, the downward spiral continues for Jared Pinckney of Vanderbilt. You know, unlike uh, DeGura of uh, Cincinnati, who was graded as a street free agent, Pinckney was graded by most scouts as the number one tight end from the senior class and a potential first round pick. We talked numerous times on this podcast about what a terrible season he had. He runs a four nine six forty with a one seven one ten yard split. Uh, doesn't do any of the jumps, doesn't do any of the uh of the three cones or anything like that. Four nine six. I mean how many offensive linemen ran faster than a four nine six? I think Jared Pinkney's a guy who Coming into the season, scouts thought he was going to be a potential first-round pick, as I said. I don't think he's getting drafted now. Yeah, I mean, it's just been really, really bad for Jared Pinkney. And it's hard to say what it truly is because is he that bad of an athlete? From what we've saw from him before this season, it's hard to believe that he's that unathletic. Maybe it's just he's not inspired to finish these workouts. He didn't decide he wanted to have a good season. I I don't know. I'm kind of at a loss for – what happened with that because he's fallen just completely off the map. And, you know, we're trying to talk about guys who won here, but it's so hard to ignore how badly he performed and just how bad it's been for him since the start of this season. I mean, as you said, number one senior tight end coming into the season, most likely a second day pick now might not even hit the third day, just a catastrophic fall for Jared Pinkney. Well, that's the one thing. I mean, after a bad uh, senior season, after a nondescript senior bowl, if he goes out and posts some great testing numbers or some decent testing numbers, you say, okay, you know, it was a bad situation at Vanderbilt this year. They never lived up to expectations. Maybe it was a situation at Vanderbilt. But as you said, this is just a continuation of what's been really a, a terrible, uh, what is it, uh, six months now uh, for uh, Pinckney since the beginning of September. Absolutely. And we'll move to the offensive line here to wrap up the offense. And as we mentioned on our last show, the top guys were great from Tristan Wirfs and his historic 40 yard dash and jumps to Makai Becton running five, one at six, seven, 364 pounds, Austin Jackson from USC, Andrew Thomas, Jedrick Wills all performed very well. We mentioned Adam Troutman with the tight ends. Our most recent interview was Ezra Cleveland. And you could argue he was the best of all of these offensive linemen, including Wirfs, from an overall standpoint, even if he wasn't as fast or as explosive as Wirfs, but his 7.263 cone and 4.46 short shuttle were 98th and 94th percentile, respectively, in terms of historical data from the combine. Matt Pert out of UConn ran and jumped well. Terrence Steele at least checked off the athleticism box, which he really needed to do in order to maintain the draft stock that he does have. And that's just the tackles. I mean, you look at some centers, Matt Hennessy and Cesar Ruiz, 
ran and jumped well. Tennessee also crushed the agility drills. John Simpson even surprised. The Clemson guard ran a 4.87 at 6'4", 321 pounds, had some impressive jumps. All in all, Tony, this offensive line class looks like it's going to be really fun. I was very impressed with Jack Driscoll of Auburn. I mean, Jack Driscoll plays on the other side of, uh, of the Prince, and the Prince is known as the good athlete, where Jack Driscoll is the, you know, the hard-working, uh, slug-it-out type of lineman. Guy runs a 5.02 in the 40, has a 1.74 10-yard split, which is one of the fastest from the offensive line group. 29-and-a-half-inch vertical jump. Offensive lineman, you know, you're hoping to get 30, but for a guy like Driscoll, who's not really considered all that athletic, 29-and-a-half is a good number. Nine-foot-six broad jump, which is another good number. I mean, again, it's about expectations. And Jack Driscoll, we're looking at him as a guy who – Six four and a half, three hundred six pounds. Is he a tackle at the next level? You know, is he going to be pushed in the guard? He's a workman type of uh, lineman that doesn't have the great upside. And you know, now you got to rethink that. I mean, I think Jack Driscoll, who came into the season graded as a fourth round pick, probably fell a little bit. Didn't play at the Senior Bowl. Played the Shrine Game. Had his moments to tackle the Shrine Game. I think now you're looking at him as a potential mid day three guy who can absolutely play guard at the next level, maybe fill in at right tackle if you need him in a pinch. You mentioned Austin Jackson. And Austin Jackson, as far as I'm concerned, is the forgotten man at the tackle position. You know, they talk about Andrew Thomas of Georgia, Tristan Wirfs of Iowa, Jedrick Wills of Alabama, and uh, who's the fourth guy I'm forgetting? Uh, uh, Becky uh, Mackay Becton Becton of, of Louisville. But as far as I'm concerned, Jackson belongs in that conversation because he is a sensational left tackle prospect. Great feet, can slide off the edge, comes in at 322 pounds, just a shade under six foot five, runs a 507 uh, 40, uh, t- 10 split of uh, 173, 795 three comb, which was a solid time for a guy that big, 31 inch vertical jump, nine foot seven broad jump. So you know he's got that explosion. You know he's got the athleticism. Bench press wasn't too bad either at 27 reps. So uh, when you look at Austin Jackson, the line across, and you're going to read this tomorrow in the uh, Pro Football uh, Network question and answer segment I do, uh, he's a guy who is going to go much earlier than people expect. He came in, he showed the athleticism. He showed some uh, strength at the combine. We know he's a great left tackle. Uh, Very impressed by him. Unfortunately, we talked about this briefly. Another Pac-12 uh, offensive tackle who was very unimpressive was Trey Adams. I mean, runs a 5-6 in the 40, runs a 1-8-9, 10-yard split. I think the slowest 10-yard or the only time I've ever seen a 10-yard split that was that slower was Terrence Cody. Terrence Cody had like a 1-9-1 split when I was there uh, timing him. 24-and-a-half-inch vertical jump, 7-foot-8-inch broad jump. Uh, didn't do the bench press. And again, we talked about Pinckney you know, likely falling out of the draft. I think it could be the same situation for Trey Adams. And as I said on Saturday, when we did the podcast from the combine, two years ago, Trey Adams was created as the number one senior prospect in the nation, barring any position, you know, regardless of position. And now because of how unathletic he looked, and I know uh, teams are going to attribute this to a lot of the injuries that he struggled with uh, the past two and a half years, very likely Trey Adams just gets red flagged and is not uh, drafted at all. 
Now, flip sides of the ball here and look at the defense. We'll start on the interior defensive line. Another friend of the podcast. You might notice a theme here. Carlos Davis ran a 4.82 at 6.2313. His twin Khalil ran even better, 4.75 in the 40 at 6.1308. Really no shock given the track backgrounds for both of these guys. Justin Matabuki from Texas A&M hit 4.83 at 6.3293. That's the interior guys moving to the edge. Jabari Zuniga was really in a tier of his own, ran the 40 in 4.64 seconds at 6'3", 264 pounds, 10-foot, 7-inch broad jump. We knew he was athletic, but wow on those numbers. James Smith-Williams out of Louisville, similar numbers to Zuniga. Charlotte to Alex Highsmith was third in the nation with 14 sacks, played at the Shrine Bowl, so also an elite athlete. 4'7 in the 40, 10'5 in the broad, just under 250 pounds. North Dakota State's Derek Tuska, we're in a 6873 cone. It's the only defensive lineman to crack seven seconds. Curtis Weaver was at seven flat in the three cone. He also ran and jumped well, so he helped his stock. Overall, though, kind of an uninspiring overall workout for some of these guys outside of the ones that I named and a few others. I was impressed with Alton Robinson, although I shouldn't have been because he's known as a, a really good uh, football player, and he's a guy who came into the season with uh, third-round grades, 264 pounds, Runs a 46940, 35-and-a-half-inch vertical jump. Runs a solid 432 short shuttle. Uh, his three cone was, was embedded at 7.32 seconds. Uh, you know, just an explosive athlete, 25 on the uh, reps on the bench, which is also a good number. Uh, and, and someone who I think has just got to play to his size because all too often with Alton Robinson, you see times when he's getting handled at the point by a single blocker. I was very impressed with Jonathan Garvin, the uh, defensive end from Miami, someone who I think surprised a lot of people when he entered the draft, but he looks very explosive as a pass rusher on film, and he showed some of that explosion during his workout. His 4.8240 wasn't anything great, but he did have a 1.67 yard split, which tells you about his get-off and his ability to close because a guy like Garvin's not going to run 40 yards too much on a football field, but he's going to run 10 yards a lot. And that 167 mark was one of the best from the defensive lineman. Really eyeballing it here quickly, the only guy who I see was a little bit quicker was the guy who I just mentioned, Walton Robinson and uh, James Smith-Williams, who you mentioned. But still, Garvin, 36-inch vertical jump, 10 feet 5 inches in the broad jump, 23 reps on the bench, not a great number, but the fact is is – he, he comes across on film as a guy who's not that strong. So I thought Garvin really did well and someone who I think probably pushed himself into the late rounds of the draft. He's someone who's got a good amount of upside, 6'4 and chains, 263 pounds, could probably add another 10 pounds uh, of body weight. On the other hand, I think his teammate, Trevon Hill, we talked about Pinkney before and, and Adams before, guys who've had been on the downhill. You know, Trevon Hill, I think, basically – Worked himself out of the draft. 4.89 in the 40 with a 1-7 10-yard split at 248 pounds. 28-inch vertical jump. A uh, broad jump of 9 feet 5 inches. Really, it's been all downhill for Trayvon Hill since the 2017 season when he looked like just an explosive uh, edge rusher or the next sort of undersized edge rusher to come out of uh, Virginia Tech. Obviously, we've talked about what happened there. Got dismissed from the program uh, early in the 2018 season. Went to Miami. Had a nondescript year at Miami this season. Really didn't stand out all that much. Didn't stand out at the senior ball. Has a terrible combine. I don't think he gets drafted. Was also a little bit disappointed in uh, 
Bradley and they, I thought he would have run a little, a little bit better, would have had better testing marks, 4.93 in the 40, 31-inch vertical jump, 9-foot, 7-inch broad jump, and only a 7.44 in the three-cone. So I think Ine, who showed a lot of good things on the field this year, I think his combine uh, is probably going to knock him out of the second round. Now move on to linebacker here. And Kenneth Murray, a guy who we mentioned earlier, got hurt. So already high on many boards. Before he got hurt, though, ran a 4-5-240 and had some great jumps. So that's going to do nothing to change his draft stock. Isaiah Simmons, though, I mean, 4.39 in the 40-yard dash at 6'4", 238 pounds. I mean, we thought that Jonathan Taylor running that time was impressive. Simmons is 12 pounds heavier. He has really cornerback-level athleticism and linebacker size. Just a complete freak, 39-inch vertical jump, 11 feet in the broad. Malik Harrison from Ohio State weighed in well at 247 pounds. And then he ran a 4.66 and had some great jumps. Also an impressive 6.83 three-cone. Willie Gay Jr. is a guy who caught a lot of eyes as well with his 44640, 39.5-inch vertical, and really a ridiculous 11-foot, 4-inch broad jump at 6'1", 243 pounds. He does have some off-field issues to deal with, but teams will definitely be looking into those a little bit closer after this workout and watching him on film because it does match what he's able to do. Davion Taylor from Colorado was a senior bowl guy, a bit small, under 230 pounds, but ran a 4'4", 10-foot, 7-inch broad, definitely checked the boxes that he needed to as a smaller linebacker. And Logan Wilson, on top of his senior bowl performance where he looked pretty good in coverage and obviously his high-level production in college, he weighed in at 6'2", 241 pounds. He ran a 4.63 with a 10-foot, 1-inch broad. Good numbers for him. Anybody else stand out to you, Tony? You know, you said before that you weren't impressed by too many of the defensive linemen. This was a good-looking group of linebackers. I mean, these guys were fast. It was one after another. I apologize, but I don't know if, if you mentioned our, uh, our temple buddy who we had on uh, last summer, uh, ran a four, five, one uh, in the 40. And he told us during the, um, during our interview, Sean Bradley, he thought he was going to run the four fours and he just missed out on the four. I'm running a four, four. So good for him. Uh, Casey Tuhill of uh, Stanford. I was very impressed with Tuhill. Four six two forty. Now again, I'm impressed with him because scouts estimated him to run in the four eights. Four six two in the forty, a one five four ten yard split, thirty nine inch vertical jump, ten foot six broad jump, seven oh eight three cone, which is terrific for a guy that's two hundred fifty uh, two hundred fifty pounds. You know, you talked about Davion Taylor, who's swift, who's quick, he's explosive. Davion Taylor at two hundred twenty eight pounds ran a six nine six three cone. So I think Casey Tuhill, who's known as a guy who was often used out of a three-point stance uh, at Stanford, primarily used up the box, you know, at 250 pounds, running the low four sixes, 39-inch vertical jump, which is good for a defensive back, never mind a 250-pound linebacker, and, you know, and, and, and a very good three-cone. I think he really had one of the more understated uh, combine performances uh, of anybody, of any position. Uh, very impressed with him. I think he really helped himself. And you're going to see the effects uh, come the draft in April. Now, you mentioned Casey Tuhill putting up numbers befitting of a defensive back. So we will move on to the DBs here, last but certainly not least in our order. We'll start with the corners. C.J. Henderson out of Florida. A 4-3-9-40, great jumps, excellent size at 6-1-2-0-4. Really strong on the bench press, too. Really can't ask for much more from a player through the combine. So he really... Did a great job. Jeff Okuda, 
from Ohio State, similar size to Henderson, jumped through the roof, looked insanely smooth in drills. Both guys really cemented themselves as very early picks in the draft. A.J. Terrell out of Clemson, I wasn't expecting him to run a 4-4-2 or for him to broad jump 10 feet, 9 inches. It was a huge weekend for him. And your guy, Javelin Guidry, placed a 4-2-9, also had 21 reps on the bench at 5'9", 195 pounds. Really not too shabby at all. Looking at the safeties, a pair of small stoolers and a pair of Clemson Tigers really stole the show. Jeremy Chin and Kyle Duger, both senior goal guys, both wrecked it in Indy. Chin ran a 4.45, a 41-inch vertical, and an 11-foot, 6-inch broad jump at 6'3", 221 pounds. Like I said during our senior bowl shows, when I stood next to him during that practice that was moved indoors, this dude is made in a lab, and it really showed at the combine. Duger was a little bit slower, but he had a better vertical by an inch, 11-foot, 2-inch broad. And Tanner Muse is 4.41 in the 40-yard dash. Very impressive. He's going to be a demon on special teams at the very least likely solidified himself as a day three pick. Kayvon Wallace, another guy who broad jumped over 11 feet, 38-inch vertical, 6.76 in the three-cone, and even his 4.5340 was pretty solid. I could go on with some of these guys. I mean, Legereus Sneed from Louisiana Tech blazed a 4.37 with some great jumps, a bit small at six foot 192, but those are still some great numbers. I'm going to stop now, though. I'll let Tony talk a bit about some of the DBs that he was impressed by. Well, yeah, first you got to start with Tanner Muse. You know, you, everyone gushed over Isaiah Simmons. First thing is with Tanner Muse, a lot of scouts thought he was a 4'7", four, 4'75 seven, four, seven, guy. And there was questions, is he going to be a safety? Is he going to be a linebacker? We know he's a darn good football player, and he's a tough physical football player. Plays within the system, really lays it on the line. Isaiah Simmons ran a 4'3", 9", at what, 238 pounds? Tanner Muse at 227 pounds runs a 4-4-1. I mean, and the 34 and a half inch vertical jump. So again, with Tanner Muse, he probably ran a good two tenths faster than, you know, what anybody expected. You, you mentioned um, Legereus Sneed, 4-3-7 in, in the 40 with a 1-5-1 10 yard split, 41 inch vertical jump, 10 foot 11 inch broad jump. Didn't do the uh, three cone or, or the shuttles. They'll do that at pro day. Uh, but a guy who played safety last year, I think with Sneed, six foot, a half inch, 192 pounds. Go back and watch the 2018 film where he played cornerback because he can play both positions. And, and I think if you go back and watch the 2018 film uh, when he played cornerback and you look at some of these testing marks, you're looking at a guy who's a mid-day three pick who a lot of people don't think is draftable. I thought J.R. Reed of Georgia also ran much better than expected. I mean, he is a tough physical in-the-box safety, runs a 4-5-4. Most teams, most people thought he was going to struggle to get under 4-6-5, and he's a good tenth faster uh, than what anybody thought at 202 pounds. So I thought for J.R. Reed, didn't do the shuttles, didn't do the three-cone. So we're going to have to wait and see what happens with, the, with that on pro day. Uh, but I, again, exceeded expectations and a guy who I, I think definitely now is likely to move into the middle rounds of the draft. Now, before we end the show here, there is one thing that we didn't discuss in our show on Saturday, and that was Chase Young. When the defensive linemen were lifting on the bench press Friday, Chase Young stepped up to the podium. He announced he was not lifting by his own choice, and he also wasn't going to lift at his pro day. You tweeted out that information Tony, what are your thoughts on this? And what had you been hearing about something like this in the lead up to the combine? 
Yeah, and what I'm going to say is not going to sit well with a lot of people. That's understandable. Some of it is my opinion, and some of it is what I've been hearing. Now, when I first of all, when I heard Chase Young say that, not that he was not, not only he was not going to lift at the combine because of his own choice, but then made the announcement that he wouldn't be lifting at pro day. I checked with the people around me to say, you know, did I just hear that? And, and it was true. A lot of people on said, well, you know, there's no reason for him to lift. You know, he, he's a great football player. No reason to do the bench press. He doesn't want to get hurt. I could understand that to an extent. I mean, I was there a year ago watching uh, his former teammate, Kendall Sheffield, the cornerback uh, on the bench press when he basically tore his pec. But, you know, they do the bench press for a reason. It's not just a fruitless exercise. What really shocked me is the fact that why would you make an announcement at the combine that you're not going to lift on pro day? Uh, and to me, it really didn't make a lot of sense. Now, in the weeks leading up to the draft, and I had kind of mentioned this, uh, kind of, you know, off cuff, you know, I was hearing that uh, Chase Young wasn't going to work out the combine because he wasn't going to put up good numbers. He wasn't going to run a fast 40 time. There weren't going to be, uh, he wasn't going to have good jump numbers or anything like that. I've been told right now, and we'll have to see how it plays out that he might not do all the testing uh, at the, uh, at Ohio state pro day. It may be a Kyler Murray type of situation. You remember Kyler Murray last year, he only did certain things, uh, he never ran the 40. I, I forgot exactly what he did, but he didn't do all testing. And from what I'm told, Chase Young may go down the same path. We'll have to wait and see. Now, I think Kyler Murray set a bad precedent, but you have to remember a couple of things. Kyler Murray was the pick of the head coach. When Cliff Kingsbury came in, that's the guy he wanted. And if you remember, I reported from the combine last year that Cliff Kingsbury was telling people Kyler Murray uh, was, was a done deal to the uh, Arizona Cardinals with the first pick of the draft. A lot of people laughed at me. A lot of people mocked me. That turned out to be true. I've been reporting that Ron Rivera wants uh, or is in love with Chase Young. The difference is Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray had the same agent. So there may have been some communication there. I don't know if there was communication there. I guess you can draw your own conclusions. For the record, I will tell you this. Cliff Kingsbury, the uh, agent who represents Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray, was not the one who gave me the information that Cliff Kingsbury was out there telling people Kyler Murray was, uh, was a lock to be a number one pick to the Arizona Cardinals. Chase Young does not have the same agent as Ron Rivera. I, I just It'll be interesting to see what happens on Ohio State Pro Day exactly what testing he goes through but a couple of people to me tell me tell me say listen he's not going to test all that well don't be surprised if he does minimal testing during uh ohio state's pro day and again if he doesn't want to do the bench press i understand i just see there is no benefit in announcing at the combine you're not going to be lifting at pro day either just wait till pro day and say i'm not going to lift yeah, it does seem like a weird thing to do. It's not weird, obviously, to say it at the combine because it's relevant there, but right. pro day is still a while away. It's, I mean, nobody says things like that at the combine about what they're going to do at pro day unless, you know, oh, I'm not going to do this, but I will do it at pro day. You might hear some of that, but you don't hear, I'm not going to do it here. Oh, also, I'm not going to do it at my pro day. It's just like, not who cares because people do care. Obviously, we're talking about it. We care, but it's one of those things like, why would you say that? you know, why do you feel it's important? Why do you feel it's imperative 
for you to get that information out now rather than just waiting a couple of weeks. And the Ohio State Pro Day is March 25th. So the Ohio State Pro Day is at the end of the Pro Day schedule. And, you know, people, when they hear this, they'll, well, Chase Young, I'm not, this does not take anything away from Chase Young being a great player. He is far and away the number one highest rated player on my draft board. But I, I think in a lot of sense, what it does is, I don't want to say it's an unforced error, but it opens up conversations for you know, people to have, well, why isn't he doing this? Why isn't he doing that? Of course, if he runs the 40 and he runs a 485 or he runs a 479, people will be talking as well. So, you know, I could understand you'll say the guy's in a no-win situation. But, you know, that's what I'm hearing as of now. We'll have to wait and see. It's not going to change my opinion of him. I think he's far and away the best player in this year's draft. But I think there's going to be a lot of conversation as to what he does during Pro Day and what he doesn't test during Pro Day. And that's it for the 123rd episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter, and we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll be back again next week, bringing more of the latest NFL draft news. But until then, on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tricotti. Good night.